Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Good? Yes, it's so great to see all of you. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church, and I would ask you to turn your attention to your Bibles, if you brought one with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's all good. We have hardback black Bibles underneath the seat close to you, and you can grab one of those and find 1 Corinthians in the back third, if you will, of that Bible. So 1 Corinthians 13, I make mention of that, and already some of us go to this place in our mind like, oh, I've heard of this verse before. Um, and maybe, or this passage, and maybe you, you've heard it, but don't know that it's tied to 1 Corinthians 13. So if you've ever been to a wedding, right, <laughs> right, and there's a, the preacher guy who's officiating the wedding, he'll oftentimes make mention of love, and which is a good thing in a wedding, just say amen, yes? <laughs> Let's start there at least. Anyways, but he'll, he'll use some of the descriptors that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 to describe the love that a husband and a wife should have. Love is patient, love is kind, and this and that. In fact, the, these words have become rather infamous even outside of the Bible. They've been co-opted by other groups of people, if you will, that aren't even Christian using it to describe love, whatever they define their love as. And, and, and just know this, it's even been, been co-opted by one of the greatest Christian merchants in the world, Hobby Lobby. Anyone? Real story, Hobby Lobby art has 1 Corinthians 13 on everything. You don't believe me, flip it over. It's on there somewhere. I was in my own restroom, true story, hand on my Bible two days ago and realized we have Hobby Lobby art in my bathroom that has 1 Corinthians 13 on it. I had no idea it was there. I had no idea it was there. And it says love is patient. And then it skipped the love is kind part, which makes me think, is Hobby Lobby Christian? I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just, we should question is all I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I just say all of these things to point to this reality. I, I have work set before me. You see, all of us have an idea of what this is going to say to us. Love is patient. Love is kind. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard. It's not arrogant, doesn't boast, and, and, and all of that. And we, we sort of walk into what this next 30 minutes will look like for us with sort of uh, presuppositions or ideas of where this is going. And all I would ask of us is if we could just put that on pause, but for a moment and remind ourselves of a couple things. First is this, is that all of the words in the Bible, which are important to us, cannot, must not stand alone. Those words that we might read in the Bible, love is patient, a really short little phrase, if you will, but just know this, that those words are included or inside of a sentence. And that sentence is inside of a paragraph. That paragraph is inside of a chapter. That chapter is inside of a book, which is just a long way for me to say this, that there's a context at play here in this book that you and I will miss if we just rip 1 Corinthians 13 out of what Paul is trying to say. See, a couple weeks ago, when we got to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we heard these words from Paul in chapter 1. He said this, Now concerning spiritual gifts. 
And Paul began to dive into, for the Corinthian church, an issue at work in the church. And he starts in chapter 12, continues through verse chapter 13, and finishes that thought in chapter 14. These three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, are one thought for the Apostle Paul. One issue that he's addressing in the church as it relates to the spiritual gifts or the gifts that the Holy Spirit has bestowed on or given to the believers in the church in Corinth. And so last two weeks in chapter 12, we talked about that the Holy Spirit is one who brings the the believers together into one body, if you will. So there's a, a uniting factor that's happening with the Holy Spirit there. And in chapter 14, which we'll start next week, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit does this edification or this building up or encouraging of the members of the church. And sandwiched in the middle of the unifying and the edifying is this middle part, this issue of love. This is the Oreo sandwich of Paul's idea here. Guess what kind of cookie I was eating last night as I was writing my, my intro today. And, and we all know that chapter 12, the outside of the cookie is good and the other side of the cookie is good. But the most important part is what? The middle. Say amen. Let's just take an offering and call this church. You okay? Anyway, so... <laughs> So I just want us to, to be mindful of what Paul is addressing. That yes, he's talking about unifying the church. Yes, he's going to talk about edifying the church. But in the middle of it, there's this issue of love. In fact, I would argue this, that what Paul has done for us, the church, is, is given us three different uh, tests, if you will, to confirm the presence or the absence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of his church. I and mean, we could look to chapter 12 and look at the uniting part of the Holy Spirit. And we could ask ourselves, if the church is united together, I mean, we, we're diverse, we have different opinions and ideas, I know that. But as the Holy Spirit unites us under the Lordship of Christ, when that work is happening, that's, that's proof that the Holy Spirit is at work, yes? And we'll see the same thing with encouragement or edification. We can check to see if the Holy Spirit is present if you and I, when we attend the church, feel encouraged and edified and helped. And I say that knowing this, that there are many people who have come to church today who are looking for encouragement, who are looking for help. And, and I want you to know this. We are desperate that God would... Uh, gift us with his spirit to be that help for some of you. I want you to know this is a place and should be a place where you will find encouragement, where you will be built up. But most importantly, Paul addresses this issue of love. It's important. In fact, I want to read something before we get to 1 Corinthians 13. It's found in John chapter 13. I, I didn't put the words up on the screen. I'll just read it out of my Bible. But just know this. This is in context, the words of Jesus as he's speaking to his disciples uh, before he's to be arrested and crucified and, and all of that. This is the last few moments that he has with his disciples. And he says this in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I'm giving to you that you would love one another. 
Not just that you would love one another, but he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. He's given them the command and the example to follow through in that command. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then he adds this, and this, if this hits, this will be the most helpful thing for many of us. Verse 35, he says, by this, all the people will know that you are my disciples. By this, your love for one another, the love that looks like Jesus for one another, he says, by that love, the world will know you belong to me. The, the world will know whose you are, what you stand for. All too often, I think the church is more known for what they're against, which people group they want to yell at on TV this week instead of exemplifying the love that would be the, the authenticator, if you will, of our abiding in the Lord. The love is the most important part. And so um, I just want us to keep that in mind. Paul's addressing the issues in the Corinthian church. These spiritual people have become over-spiritualized and, and driving themselves into factions or divisions because they think that the gift that the Holy Spirit gave them, as we studied the last two weeks, is better than the gift that you've been given or you've been given. And they're treating these spiritual gifts like merit badges on the sash of their super spiritual uniform <laughs> instead of treating them like the servants' washcloths that they're supposed to be to wash the believers' feet around them. And Paul rebukes them. The spiritual gifts are good. We should desire spiritual gifts. Yes, we should unite together in Jesus and be built up when we come together. But if all of this is done outside of the context of love and the love that Christ exemplifies for us, then we have missed all things altogether. Would you agree? So I want to read 1 Corinthians 13. You can follow along on the screen here, and then we'll go back in and just uh, parse out a few words here or there to help us. Starting in verse 1. And Paul says, Now if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but if I have not love, then I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I even have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In verse four, he begins to define or describe what this love is. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant, nor is it rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In verse 8, he concludes with this. Love, he says, never ends. Now, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they also will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
Now, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, he says, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Verse 13, so now he says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of all of these, he says, is what? Love. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for our time together. And um, our prayer now is not just, um, I don't mean it to be superficial or even transitional from the passage to the message now. God, I I want intention in our prayer. I'm asking, God, that you would come and that you would be with us, that we have come together to gather uh, with brothers and sisters in unity together and to worship you, to encounter you, to learn from you, to be honest, Lord, we have come to be changed by you. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be available to us, that he, he would uh, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and help us where we need help. God, we yield ourselves to you. We call your son Jesus our Lord and Savior, and we thank you for that. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now, Paul, real quickly, is just, again, addressing the Corinthians who have somehow taken one of the spiritual gifts, which was speaking in tongues, and they've exalted or accentuated it above all other gifts. We won't belabor that. That's the last two weeks. So Paul, when he begins to address them, he first starts with that idea. So, so me, for example, if I spoke in tongues of men and the tongues of the angels. What he's basically saying, listen, I can have all knowledge of every dialect on earth and in heaven. I can understand everything spoken, whether intelligible or unintelligible. I can know all of that. And if I do not have love, he says, then I'm but a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now we could take that to understand you're just making a bunch of noise. And I think we, in our context, would kind of understand that. But there is something unique about the issue of a clanging cymbal or noisy gong to the church in Corinth, and it would have meant so much more to them. So let me try to unpack this for you. Uh, Corinth, as we know, was a very pagan city before the gospel of Jesus arrived. Many temples set up to all kinds of pagan deities. And a lot of these people would gather together to worship all of these pagan gods. And in some of their worship services, they would walk around clanging cymbals together. As if to gather attention from, of the deity that they are worshiping. It reminds me, if you know the story from... First Kings, Elijah is doing battle against the prophets of Baal and are doing this big thing. It's a blast to read. And anyways, the prophets of Baal are crying out to their God, but their God doesn't seem to be answering their prayers. And so Elijah jokingly says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. I'm just saying. Maybe he had to go wee-wee, my interpretation. Too far? Anyway, so... (laughs) Testing the waters here. I don't know how deep you guys are right now. I'll go all in if you want, but just let me know. So anyway, he says, he says maybe your God's uh, in the bathroom or something. And so these, these uh, 
priests and priestesses of Baal began to cut them as had been known to them. They said they used to do this regularly. They would cut themselves and and do all this self-emasculating to try to draw the attention of their deity. Paul is simply saying, there's no need of that here. There's no need of any of this. God, hear me. He sees you. He sees us. And, oh my gosh, wait for it. He knows us. You want some homework, go home and read Psalm 139 in the Old Testament. Some of you are nodding because you know what this says already, but it speaks to the intimate knowledge that God has for all of us. There is no need to make it about ourselves or to try to gather God's attention by any of these spiritual gifts. He says, if we do that type of thing without love, we are nothing. That's what he says, and we continue reading this. He says, even if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith, these are some of the lists or some of the items, the spiritual gifts in the list that Paul mentions in chapter 12. These are the things that the Corinthians boasted in. He goes, you can have all of those things, but if you have not love, then you are nothing. He says, I am nothing. He continues, verse 3, I can give away all that I have and even deliver up my body to be burned. Some manuscripts say that give up his body even unto death that I may boast. (laughs) Um, I've actually known people in ministry who have said something like this. I just want to work so hard until my very last breath and then die and meet Jesus. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, don't you ever want to retire and spend time with your family? Maybe enjoy this life that God has made for you? Like, why just labor unto death? Maybe that's for some of you. I don't know. I just know this, that there are so many things that we can be chasing after, and yet if we miss the middle part, he's saying, then all of it gains us nothing. He says, I am nothing. Now, he's not saying I am nothing to anyone. He's saying I am nothing to God. God would not see any of those things is anything. It is the love component is necessary. In fact, I would say this, love would be the ultimate and uncounterfeitable. Is that a real word? I have no idea. Six syllables, sound smart. I'm just saying, uncounterfeitable issue of the Christian faith. And what I mean is this, all of the things that Paul just mentioned, the prophecy, knowledge, faith to do supernatural things, Hear me, all of those things can be counterfeited. Those things happen in the world around us even today. They happened in Moses' day. If you remember this, Moses' day, if you remember the story when Moses went before Pharaoh asking for God's people to be let go and he performed these miracles that God told him to do. And then it says Pharaoh's own magicians performed the same miracles. All that to say this, there are supernatural things taking place in the world around us that do not find their origin in the spirit of God. I would argue they find their origins in something much more dark and sinister. That all these things can be counterfeited and faked, except for one. It's this issue of love. People know when your love is (laughs) not true, yes? And the Lord knows it too. He says, we don't need to be chasing after these supernatural, super spiritual things. They're good. 
Yes, we love them. We ask Holy Spirit for all of this. We want people to be healed when we pray for them. We want all the supernatural things that only God can do to be performed amongst us. But we don't operate in those things without the love that he has for us. And then he begins to describe or define what this love looks like here in verse 4. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Now, patience, I need you to hear this. It's not the type of patience that you and I need um, early Monday morning when we're waiting for the coffee to get into the pot, right? Like, just by show of hands, this isn't an official poll, but how many people put the coffee in the filter and load it with water the night before, right? Because <laughs> you have no patience. You're like, I'm not wasting eight seconds, eight seconds. Because if you time it, that's about how long it takes. And I don't say this to mock you. I do it too. I'm just saying. I'm like, I don't have that kind of time. Push, push the button, and I busy myself with other stuff. That's not the patience that Paul's addressing. It's not the patience that you need if you paint yourself into a corner and you're like, and you have to wait for the paint to dry. That's not what he's talking about. He's speaking about patience towards people. This patience towards other individuals that he would say love would look like. So when you exemplify that type of patience towards others, that's the spirit-given gift of love. I love that. And he says you should be patient towards others in all circumstances, learning how to deal with people when they rub you the wrong way. Anybody here rub you the wrong way? Besides me, I say. I just One of the commentators... I read this week, had this to say about the, the Christians who operate in all kinds of super spiritual things but do not operate in love. And he said this. He says, do not tell me how much you love God when you are acting ugly towards the brother or sister in the seat next to you. Like all of that just gets canceled out. I, I don't care how great you are spiritually. I don't, in fact, he'll go on to say, I don't care about your knowledge of all things. I don't, and I'll say this, God doesn't care about our uh, here we go. Our doctrines, even our theology, and I think doctrines and theology are good. Don't send me the emails, please. I believe, I believe that. But he said all those things are missed if love is not present in this. You can have all those things together and still miss it. He says love is patient. Love is kind. Again, kindness to everyone. This is a personal thing that he's addressing here. Kindness towards, check it, People. And why people? Because people are the things that are going to last forever. What? I mean, looking elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about the whole earth being filled with wood, hay, and stubble that will eventually be consumed in the judgment fire. Whatever that looks like and however that looks like for you, I don't know. Just know this. Everything you see around you expires at some point, except for this. The people, the, the ones Jesus came from heaven to die upon a cross for. He's saying, be kind to them because that's the thing that matters. There's, they're the ones that matter the most to the Lord. I, I love how in these two first words, it's like there's this passivity and this action. It almost exemplifies God's love for us. It is patient and it is kind. He is patient with us and he's kind to us, even when you don't deserve it. Oh, you feel that? And now he's saying, listen up, little Christs. That's what Christians mean. Now go out and live that before the world. 
and they'll know you belong to me when you do it. He says, love does not envy. It's not jealous of what someone else has, especially another Christian. This grass is greener syndrome, we know it all too well, yes? He says it shouldn't boast. You don't want to be a braggart, especially about your spirituality. And in the church in Corinth, this was a real issue. They had this intellectual arrogance because they'd assumed in their... (laughs) overrealized eschatology, forgive me, but they just assume they're already living out their spiritual lives now and they're better than everyone else. And he's like, your, your intellectual arrogance is beyond you. You're missing everything if you do not operate in love. He says, it must not be arrogant or prideful. It's not rude. Anybody here ever wait tables, right? Wasn't it your favorite day to work Sunday afternoons when all the people would leave church and go to the restaurants and just treat you so kindly and compassionately? No. I've never waited tables, but I know how I treat people who wait tables. I've operated with the most disgusting sense of entitlement that anyone should ever ever have. I'm sorry, did I stutter when I said water with lemon? I've done that. It's, it's ridiculous. He says the, the love that, that, that the Spirit of God would put in you doesn't act that way. And we like to think that's the, the other churches, the Lutherans, that maybe they go out to dinner... <laughs> It's then Lutherans. They're the rude ones. But it's not. It's you and it's me. We've done this before too. Paul continues to describe what love should look like. He says it should not insist on its own way. To me, this is just an echo of what happened in the garden in the fall when Adam and Eve chose their own way instead of choosing what God had for them. Just so we're clear, God has the better way for you, right? I say this all the time here at Renaissance, and maybe it bears repeating for some people here. I don't know. Maybe I need to hear it again. But there's nobody in this room who's lied to you more than you. You're the one who says, man, this is the year I'm changing. This is the year I'm going to do better. This is the year I'm going to, and you go on and on only to find out you, in fact, don't do those things. If anyone's lying to anyone, it's you lying to yourself, trying to do things on your way, seeking your own way. That is what Adam and Eve fell into. It says love should not be irritable or touchy. Everyone knows someone like this. Oh no, eggshells, eggshells, right? The chip on their shoulder. Well, you didn't check in with me when I had the thing this week, or you didn't this, and I went to church and you never said hi to me. And, and we're going, I didn't even see you, bro. I have no idea. And sometimes we're walking around looking to be offended. He says, love should never be resentful. We don't take into account all the wrongs suffered with this idea that I'm going to get them back someday. It's this, um, 
It's like a ledger that we keep of people who've offended us. And they said this thing about me. They never apologized. So I, that's a debit, just so you know. <laughs> and um, never admitted I was right, because that's a double debit right there. And, and on, we keep this sort of ledger of all the things that people have offended us in. And it, it blows my mind because if anyone is holding a ledger, it is God himself. And if anyone should look at anyone's life, it is God who would look to our lives and see all the debits that we've done against others and himself. And yet it is God who is willing through his son Jesus to wipe that thing clean. To give us a balance of zero. The first time in your life you ever wanted a zero balance on your ledger. We don't hold these things against people. There's a, there's a, a passage in the Old Testament. Forgive me, I, I didn't write it down, but it's in the Psalms, I think. It's King David who's running for his life from the Philistines I think, I don't know, they want to kill him. Maybe he's running from Saul, I don't remember. But I remember this, that David in, in the Psalms, he writes this sort of poetic prayer unto God and he's asking for help. He's like, God, help me, deliver me, save me from my enemies. <laughs> and then he gets dark. And he says something like, God, crush their bones to dust. And I went, dang. <laughs> now hear me. I have prayed that over people on my own worship team at times. Back in the day, I'm just saying. I've prayed that over people who've done ministry with me. Can you believe that? That I would so harbor something against someone from some time ago and that they had frustrated me in such a way that I wanted God to not only get even for me, but to crush them. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in all things spiritual, but I think I missed it just by that much in that regard. I mean, that's ridiculous to think this way. And he says, love doesn't do that. It's, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love should rejoice with the truth. And he concludes with this little sort of real quick succession here, that love would bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things, and endure all things. The, the word that is translated to bear, it's a, the word for roof, which sounds so strange that love should roof all things. And it just means this, that love should cover everything. Like no matter what everyone else has done, no matter, I mean, think about what we have done unto God, even us not knowing it, and his love for us will cover all of that. It will, will overshadow everything else that we've done underneath. And you and I should be operating that way towards others. We should believe all things. It should see the best in other people. I'm a, I'm a person who genuinely, usually always sees the best in others first. Until you wrong me, and then it's all oh, whatever. <laughs> And I joke at that, but I say, I just, I just say no more. I don't want to be that way anymore. Mm -hmm. 
there was a way that Christ decided to walk. It was the will of the Father. It was what God wanted for his son. And in the purposes of all that, it was to free humanity from the clutches of sin and all of that. Okay, we know that story. But there's a moment when Jesus is going to the cross when he declares, I could speak to God and ask for a legion of angels or something like this. You know the story? And they would come. But that wasn't the way that God wanted him to go. It was a different way. There are, are oftentimes different ways that we can go and, and, and attack these things and take charge of these things. And I'm just here to say, God has a different way for us. In fact, I didn't start with this, but if you were to read the very last verse of chapter 12, right before he starts in chapter 13 about love is patient, love is kind, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. Love is the way. It endures all things, hopes all things. Ultimately, love is the defining characteristic of the people of God. Did you hear that? Love is the defining characteristic of the people of God. Not rules, not doctrines, not theologies, not denominational affiliation. Did you hear all this? Is love. That's the thing that marks us. And as I've already said, that's the thing that authenticates whether or not we belong to God. And then he ends here in verse 8 with this last sentence, love never ends. It could also be translated, never fails. Love never fails. We used to sing a song here at church called Love Never Fails. Um, the, that word ends or fails has in it two connotations, again, that the Corinthians would have known. They just would have just understood this and we miss it because of the context of our culture. So let me share these two little things. When he says love never fails or love never ends, He's speaking to them with a word that has agricultural connotations, meaning this, like, uh, just like a flower that was maybe outside and inclement weather came through, cold weather came through, and then the flower petals begin to fall off. Just consider a rose, right? And, and a frost comes through, and the next day all the petals are falling off the rose. He, he says that's what love is like. It, it doesn't do that. And secondarily, the second connotation is this. Uh, like an actor that walks out onto a stage and is booed off or hissed off the stage, right? Some of you will be old enough to remember the gong show, right? And that big hook would come out and grab someone and drag them off. Listen to what Paul is saying. He says, love, the fruit of the spirit, love given to us by God, it never fails. Its petals never fall off when inclement weather comes. Love from God is stable. God's love has never been hissed off center stage. There's all kinds of things deserving to be hissed off center stage, but, but God's love is not one of them. This thing will endure forever. In fact, that's the, the closing remarks that he has here. He says, for all the spiritual things that we've already discussed, here we go, prophecies, tongues, Knowledge, it says they're going to pass away or they will cease. They're going to pass away. Verse nine, we know in part and so we prophesy in part. What Paul is alluding to is this, this reality is that we do not know fully what God is up to ever. We know partially. We know somewhat of what God is doing. 
And that's the reason for the spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and knowledge is so that we can understand more of what God is doing. And what he's saying, at some point, all of these things are going to cease. The question many people argue over is when are they going to cease or when did they cease? Because that's an argument in the church. It says here in verse 10, they will cease and they will stop or pass away when the perfect comes. He says the, the partial will pass away and we will enter into the full. Now, begs the next question. What does he mean by the perfect? This is... Meh. I don't want to bore people. Okay, can I share this with you? Because I nerd out on stuff like this. This is helpful for me. And it might not mean anything to you, but I just know this, that um, in the studies that I've had, there has been arguments about spiritual giftings in the church. Are they still for today is the question that we ask. And, we, and oftentimes people point to this issue or this verse in 1 Corinthians 13 about the, the, the true reality that tongues will cease, that prophesy is going to pass away and knowledge will pass away and all that stuff. The question is, when is it going to happen? And Paul says, when the perfect comes. Now, that's where the debate begins. What does he mean by the perfect? Some people think it speaks of Christian maturity. And he kind of alludes to that with about, when I was a child, I used to be a child, then I grew up and became a man, right? But I don't think that's really Paul's point because he's talking about spiritual gifts, not maturity here. So it seems to be something else. That's maybe one camp because they thought, well, we don't need tongues. We don't need prophecy because now we have all the stuff that we need to mature which is the Bible. Some argue that when the canon of Scripture was closed, we have the 66 books of the Bible, all knowledge contained therein has been given to the church for its edification. So we don't need prophecy anymore. We don't need, so that was the perfect that they thought was coming, was the closing of the Bible. Except I don't think Paul would have any frame of reference for that idea. The Bible, you say, he has no idea what you're talking about. He's writing the Bible. Like in a letter, dear Frank, and it becomes the Bible. He doesn't know that, no context. I think the perfect that Paul is alluding to is Jesus. I mean, if I were writing a Bible, I would underline it and capitalize it. You know what I mean? The perfect, which is Jesus, which just speaks to Jesus' second coming, I think. I think. And so in my estimation that the, the spiritual gifts given by the Spirit, again, for the common good, chapter 12, verse 7, are still operating today. So we should still experience tongues and prophecy and knowledge and healings and miracles and, and all this stuff. That's just kind of the stream that I live in. And those that use this passage to dismiss those, I think, and I'm no scholar, I think you're just using it incorrectly. And we can allow the ensuing debate to begin. You can email me at joe at rendicator.org. <laughs> That's not my email, I'm just saying. <laughs> Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of all of these is love. Um, I have a minute left, so let me close with this. This will be, um, for many of you in the church, this won't be new to you. But some, some people might hear this for the very first time, and so I think it bears repeating. In this description or definition of love, when he says love is patient, love is kind, love um, doesn't hold um, the wrongs of others against them, love isn't rude, although, okay, you can actually take the word love 
and replace it with Jesus' name. And then you can reread that passage, and it says something like this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. And Jesus doesn't hold the wrongs against others. Well, kind of like us, that's great. And he's not rude, and he doesn't strive for his own way. We know that to be true. Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father. And, on. and you read that through, and you're like, what a description of who Jesus is as a person. And then here comes the rub. Now take Jesus' name out and put yours in. And <laughs> not, not for shame nor condemnation do I say this, but try to read it with your name. So, you know, I've done this with my wife's name. <laughs> and I have never prayed for her more. But, but can, can, it, can I say honestly and with integrity and hand on a Bible, right? Jeff is patient to all people at all times. Jeff is kind. Jeff never seeks his own way. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I say that because that might be the very thing that the Lord might use in our lives to push us towards a deeper relationship with him. When I get to Jeff is patient and I, and I fail there, I stop and I go, Lord, I miss this. I profess to be a Christian. Heck, I even pastor a church in your name and I struggle with this. And then right there, I ask God to help me. God, that you would come in, that you would bring others in my life that would point out the, um, the shortcomings Again, not to shame me, but to make sure I see them, right? And then I ask God to help change me. God, I'm not patient. Holy Spirit, help me. God, I'm not kind. Or, or how about this? Then take the list and then rejoice over all the things that God did in your life the previous week when you said, man, I was patient at, at Walmart when no one deserved it. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> and I was kind, to that person. I wasn't rude. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, we actually have a, a litmus test or a benchmark to know if, if the Spirit of God is either present or absent in our lives. Now, that's something we can do individually. I will say this as, you, as a pastor here. I have been praying that we, the church renaissance, Little C Church Renaissance, would be known for those markers. That those characteristics would, would flow out of us simply easily. And then I ultimately pray for the church at large that we be known for that stuff, that God would reclaim that for his, his body, for himself, and that the world would know that there are real Christians out there who really believe and follow after God and love him with everything because they see it expressed to the people around them. It's been my desire. So I just close with this idea Maybe as you leave today and this next week, you consider that. Maybe open your Bible on your phone or whatever and just think about reading that passage through with your name in it and asking God to help, rejoicing when he's done it and on and on. Does this make sense? So anyways, I just want to pray for us. Let's, let's pray as we close. God, thank you for all of our time together. Thank you that you have been with us. Faithfully, Lord, 
Even when we could have walked away, right? You've decided to stay. Even when we feel like there's nothing else to do, you come alongside and say there's still more to grow in. God, I thank you that you're a a God who wants more for us than just right theology and right doctrine and following all the right rules, God. But I, I thank you that you've placed before us the way of love that we might use that to authenticate you to the world around us. God, I pray that you would just be with us as we close in worship today and as we go into the rest of our week. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the the ultimate sacrifice that your son gave to bear punishment, guilt, shame on a cross that was undeserved to him. But he did so for our sake. And, And when he was buried in the grave, God, you raised him from the dead, proving that you're not at all interested in a new Christian ethic or moral for the world, but a different way to love even willing to give up our own lives for others, God. And that just speaks to who you are. So I just thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would empower us and equip us. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.